0: So, we are in the book of Revelation. We're in chapter 13. And is it okay to have fun in church? Do you think? We'll have a little fun today? Yeah. It's dreary. It's dark. But we finally have come to that place where uh, this famous number appears 666. Six, six. Uh, unless you've been under a rock for like 20 or 30 years, you haven't heard of this. Uh, people that don't even know the Bible know about this. They know about 666, the mark of the beast, the Antichrist for some reason or another, it's seeped into our culture, right? I share this all the time. There has been more uh, talked about, more books written, uh, more films about Bible prophecy in the last 50 years than the last 2,000 years. And I have this strong opinion that God is building a proverbial ark again. It's not physical this time, but God is building an ark warning people about what is to come. There is a judgment coming. I believe Jesus is coming. He may come in our lifetime. And God is getting not only the church prepared, but preparing people uh, for what's coming. So, again, this has seeped into our culture. It's a great starter of a conversation. It's how I came to Christ. Um, Now, there's good and bad in all this, right? The upside is people are curious. And I would challenge you when you're talking to people, this is an area where their ears will perk up. Because they've never heard any of this stuff, right? Right? And so they're curious by nature. I remember being 18. I'm not a believer. In fact, I don't think there was ever a Bible in my home. And I remember being in a hotel room and there was a Gideon's Bible. I didn't even know what a Gideon's Bible was. But uh, even though I had religious learning, I I knew Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Instantly when I saw that Bible, I turned to Revelation. You know why? Because I saw the original omen and Damien was the Antichrist, right? So I thought, oh, this is pretty cool. Let me see what Revelation has to say. I didn't understand a word of it, and in God's plan, now I teach it, so that's pretty amazing. Uh, The downside, you know, right? All these weird, strange predictions and calculations of who the Antichrist is and the mark of the beast, but if you put it all together, it makes Revelation 13, what we're going to study today, one of the most intriguing and, because of 666, one of the most analyzed chapters in Revelation and all the Bible, so... Uh, Can we read three verses? Revelation 13, uh, put a sticky note there or something. You can look like a big shot when you talk to somebody. Uh, He causes all, this is Revelation 13, 16, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave. Notice all, it's not regional. You know, sometimes people say, oh, the flood was regional. No, it was a worldwide flood. This is worldwide. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except the one whose mark or the name of the beast nor the number of his name. They they must have that. By the way, this has never happened in history. Now, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate. This is why there's been so much speculation. The number of the beast, for it's the number of a man... And of course, there it is right there, clear in your Bible. His number is 666. We'll break that down in a minute. I want to say two things before we get started, just to kind of uh, get us thinking. Um, some people will say, well, what we're looking at here is an economic system, a political system. Uh, this, this isn't a human being. It's kind of a worldwide system that's going to take over, and I would disagree. Now, I'm going to talk about technology later, and I think technology is going to play into this. Uh, there is no doubt this is a human being. Look at the personal pronoun in verse 16. He, right, that, that is a person. And then in verse 16, it's the number of a man. So we're looking at a person here, and it's not only from here in Revelation, this person has been talked about all through Scripture, Uh, In the Old Testament, Job talked about him. the Psalms. Isaiah talked about a coming world leader, Ezekiel, Joel, uh, the minor prophets, Micah and Habakkuk. Daniel probably gave us more about his character than anyone else. He would speak great words. Maybe one of the greatest orators or preachers the world has ever seen. Uh, A a mighty man. And and here's the trick. We've been sold a bill of goods. This person is going to be like a villain, right, with a black cape. Uh, he's anti-Christ because in some ways he's in place of Christ. In some ways he will look like Christ. In fact, that's what Jesus told us in John chapter 5. He said, I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. Speaking to the Jews, they crucified him. He said, there is one coming who will come in his own name, him you will receive. And I find that fascinating because the book of Revelation is very Jewish. It talks about Jerusalem and the Jews being back in the land, 144,000 evangelists. So uh, they are scheduled to be deceived as Jesus predicted. Uh, Paul called him the son of perdition, the lawless one. John gives us the phrase antichrist. John said many antichrists had gone into the world, but this one's singular. This is from a book from 30 years ago. I think it rings true today, where the author said somewhere at this very moment, On planet Earth, the Antichrist is almost certainly alive. Biding his time, awaiting his cue, uh, battle sensationalism, far from it. That likelihood is based upon a sober evaluation of current events in relation to Bible prophecy. Already a mature man, he is probably active in politics, perhaps even admired as a world leader whose name is almost daily on everyone's lips. He could be the head of a multinational corporation, a little-known international banker of great wealth, a behind-the-scenes influencer, a sports hero, right? Or he may rise suddenly from total anonymity. Somewhere he is being meticulously groomed, though as yet he probably has no more inkling than do those who encounter him daily of the ultimate role for which Satan is preparing him and will one momentous day utterly possess him last week in chapter 12 we saw satan fall from heaven this week we're looking at an antichrist and a false religious leader an unholy trinity six is the number of man six 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 in many ways is this this unholiness of man we just sang holy holy is the lord god almighty the perfect trinity this is an unholy trinity The second thing that we're going to talk about is this mark. What is this? This number, this name that's going to be tattooed on the people, or maybe it's an implanted chip, whatever it is, what is it? Now, it's a number and it's a name. The problem is we speak English, most of us. Okay, The Bible languages were Greek and Hebrew, where the the characters were also the numbers. So there's this thing called gamatria, which is where you assign numbers to letters, right? So alphanumeric code where you assign a numerical value to a Hebrew or an English name, word or phrase based on the letters. Now, uh, we're told here, this is wisdom. You can actually calculate this. So there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, so the early church looked at this and they ran their calculations and they thought the Caesars were the Antichrist, right? Right? So they ran all the numbers, and somebody like Nero, right, he's 666, he's the Antichrist. Preterists, who believe the Revelation is like 70 AD, it all happened there, and it's all history, kind of hang their hat there. Uh, The problem is the early church, and even today, uh, almost everybody worth their salt believes Revelation was written in 95 AD. So this can't be Nero, and the idea that it is Nero didn't even come around until German theologians came up with the idea in the 1800s. Uh, And not only that, you need Caesar Nero to get 666. You just can't have Nero. See the games you can play with this? In the Protestant Reformation, they thought it was the popes, and they ran all those numbers. Uh, You and I have lived through Henry Kissinger, Ronald Reagan, Barack Obama, right? Pin the tail on the Antichrist. Uh, Someone told me, and I, I never researched this stuff, that if you take the worldwide web, transliterated in the Hebrew, you get 666, right? Uh, Somebody told me all the taxi cabs in Israel end in 666, to which I said, yeah, so, so same things in Chicago, New York, Philly. You see where all this goes, right? Here's the idea. We don't need to help God. Does everybody understand that? You know, Jesus said, because you're my friends, I tell you things before they come to pass. Here's what I want to drive home today. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is inspired by God. Here's why. For doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man and woman of God would be complete, lacking nothing. Revelation 13 is in our Bible to complete us. There's something here for you and me. There is a blessing here, right? Revelation 1.8, blessed is he who hears Um, reads or understands the word of this prophecy. So God has something here for us. I don't think it's a scenario that's better than somebody else's scenario. I don't think it's that we win in the end. I think there's something deeper that God would have for you and me as we begin to study these things in detail. I want to draw out three things. I want to talk to you about nations. I want to talk to you about technology. And I want to talk to you about this coming world leader. Let's start with nations. Look at verse 1 of chapter 13. John said, I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. That's the sea of humanity, the sea of Gentile nations. Having seven heads, that could be the seven hills of Rome, revived Roman Empire. It can be seven world-dominating empires. Horns are always leaders, notice they have ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. So this is unholy. The beast which I saw, the imagery all comes from Daniel, it was like a leopard, his feet were like that of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon, who we know is the devil from Revelation 12, gave him his power, his throne, and his authority. Now, God is the one who raises up kings and brings them low. When Daniel prophesied that Greece would become a world power, it was laughable. It was a small city state. Only God knew Alexander the Great would arise, okay? So God raises up kings and brings them low. Here we find Satan giving the authority. Remember, chapter 12, he was cast out of heaven. The demons came with him. God allowing this to happen, this unholy alliance, this unholy trinity. Real quick, you'll get a little history this morning. You'll get a little more than you paid for, all right? There have been six world-dominating empires while Israel and the, is in existence and the Bible is written, okay? Uh, real quick, they were Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Six in the relation to Israel, Then there's a gap. Daniel said there's a gap because Israel goes out of existence. The church age comes in. 1948, Israel comes back in the land. Daniel talks about a final world empire, the seventh that will complete it, that will come against God and his people and all who are on the earth at that time. The greatest of all empires was Rome. So my son and I both read a lot, and we have this argument, what was the greatest empire I say it's Rome, he argues it's Greece, I'm right, it's Rome. Uh, for those of you who have seen Gladiator, or if you've read, I mean, Rome was. I mean, what they accomplished at their time, they built roads, and I mean, it was, it was overwhelming when you look at the grandeur of Rome. The Bible's a tale of two cities, to borrow a Dickens phrase. It's Jerusalem and it's Rome. It's the city of God and the city of man. Jerusalem mentioned five hundred times in Scripture is the place where God said He would put His name. Get this, forever, forever. The Judean hills, desire of nations, Rome, the city of man, the glory of man. It's a tale of two cities. We see both of them in Revelation. Now, when Rome was not an empire, they had a series of six kings. It's very important. One of the kings was Numa Pompilius. It was he who inspired the Romans with their fear of the gods. He appointed priests with specific religious duties and a high priest with wide authority called Pontifus Maximus. This is BC. He designated virgins to serve the shrine of Vesta, goddess of the hearth and fireside, and to attend the sacred fling. He introduced priests for the service of Mars, giving them a uniform, embroidered tunic of bronze. We'll look at some of this in Revelation 17. Provided them with sacred shields, which they were to carry through the city, where they chanted their hymns to the triple beat of the ritual dance. He divided the year into twelve lunar months. By the way, for those of you who say, Oh, we can't play cards or we can't do this because, you know, they're idolatrous or they're pagan. The months of the year are pagan, right? June's a goddess, Mars, you ever think this through? Sunday, Saturday. (laughs) Christians are weird, I know. I'm one of them. He built the temple of Janus, god of gates and doors, which was left open when Rome was at war and closed at a time of peace. And he succeeded in bringing peace to the city by securing treaties of alliances with those neighboring peoples already bound to it. Why am I bringing this up? Because religion and politics have always mixed. Egypt had the pharaohs, but they also had, remember Jannies and Jambries who could turn their staffs into, into snakes, right? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had soothsayers and the magicians. The, you know them as the magi from the Christmas story. Politics and religion have always been intermeshed. That's why it gets dicey around here when people want me to talk about politics. The woman's always tried to ride the beast. The harlot, religion, it's always intermingled through history. It's always been bad, by the way. So it starts in Rome and probably reaches its crescendo under Caesar Augustus. Again, you know him because of Jesus and the Christmas story. Jesus is born under the reign of Augustus where Rome goes from a city-state to an empire. They begin to rule the world. Now, Augustus introduces this idea of Caesar worship, that Caesar is God. Now, he doesn't believe it, and neither do the people. But it's a f- form of nationalism or patriotism, right? You kind of go into a temple, you take a pinch of incense, you put it on the fire. Caesar is Lord, and you get on with your life. Nero takes it to an extreme and begins to persecute Christians. Now, at the height of the empire, Jesus comes along. A peasant carpenter. He has 12 men, most of them fishermen. He'll never leave the area where he's born. He never starts an army. He never writes a book. But in his teachings, he said the kingdom he's building is like a mustard seed. It's smaller than every other seed, but when it's planted, it eventually will dwarf all other kingdoms. Anybody think that's happened? Anybody been to Rome? The Colosseums in ruins? The Forum? Even Italy itself isn't what it once was? God raises up kings, brings them low. What about the kingdom of God? The greatest force of the last 2,000 years, Jesus Christ, the hinge of history. No one could have written this story. So, when it comes to nations, the Bible has a lot to say. And the Bible says that in the last days, with Israel back in the land, see, it doesn't matter now because we come from every tribe, nation, kingdom, and tongue, right? There's no such thing as a Christian nation, we're everywhere. But in the last days, there will be the reemergence of one final dominating world empire that this man will lead along with the false prophet. Daniel clearly identifies this as a rebuilding of the Roman Empire. Um, remember Daniel's dream? He interprets a dream for Nebuchadnezzar, where Nebuchadnezzar sees a man with a head of gold, a chest of silver, thigh a belly of bronze, legs of iron, Toes of iron mixed with clay. And he says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold, this beautiful kingdom that you've built. But after you will come an inferior kingdom. Notice that the metals will go down, but they'll get hardened. Uh, the two arms, up, Persia empire comes along. Then Greece, Alexander the Great, bronze. And then Rome rules with a, lot, with a rod of iron, right? They rule the world. The final kingdom, it says, the ten toes... Will be iron mixed with clay, which doesn't adhere. Uh, I was an economics major in college. I've been studying the European community, oh my gosh, since the 80s. And back then it was like, okay, the European community, you know, you you would read the Club of Rome and some of these backwater things, and, you know, there's gonna be a European community. And people speculated it would be eight, eight countries, 10 countries, 12 countries. I think we got as high as 27. Now it's gone backwards. And I just save stuff like this. I I I stop saving stuff. There's so much stuff. Uh, I remember in the early days, the precursor flag of the UN was the Tower of Babel, and under it they were literally rebuilding Babel. It was like they were putting everything back to one. Timothy Garton, Oxford University historian, said the European Union is the most successful example of peaceful regime change in our time. In every corner of the continent, most people are better off, more free than they were a half century ago. But listen to what the Luxembourg Prime Minister said. He said the European Union is going through a crisis Brexit, right? We, now you've got nations leaving. We're thinking of leaving. The iron won't mix with the clay, see? Uh, Daniel talked about this. I know it's going over some of your heads, but it's worth reading. Daniel, when he laid out world history, said there were 77-year periods, not decades, seven-year periods, 490 years that would usher in the Messiah, the Prince. And we could go through that and show you that it was Palm Sunday when Jesus came. But that left one final seven-year period. That's the book of Revelation. Where he said after these 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off. There's no other interpretation of cut off than crucifixion. But not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That was the Romans. Notice, the prince, singular. Personal pronoun. And the end will be with desolations. Then he, personal pronoun, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's seven years. And in the middle of the week, three and a half years, he'll bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So there's a rebuilt temple. And on the wing of abomination, He'll make desolate. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 24. We're looking at it here. So the nation that's rising with 10 heads is some form of revised Roman Empire with this supreme leader. Can I say this about nations? We live in maybe the greatest nation that there's ever been. I'm as patriotic as everybody in this room. But when the Bible talks about nations, it talks about them as beasts. Think about that. It's not talking about North Korea or Germany under Hitler or some rogue nation. Just all nations God looks at, they're like beasts. And God gave us government, right? That's why we have roads and structure and all that. But I think what God's saying is compared to him, nations are beasts. They're impersonal, they're soulless, they're clunky, they're fierce. Remember what God said to his people that he made a nation? He said, I want to be your king. And I want there to be the rule of law. And not only the rule of law, but the law would come from your heart. That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart strength and might and your neighbors yourself. This was God's ideal. Israel, like your teenager, said, no, we want to be like all the other nations, right? Your kids want to be like all the other kids. And all the other nations have a king. This is phenomenal. This is really the proof of the existence of God that, that man is an incurable worshiper. Man has to identify with a greater man or the transcendental. Just never stops. That's why when the Phillies sign Bryce Harper, everybody goes out and buys a jersey. Do you know there's nothing more ridiculous than spending hundreds of dollars to put a shirt on that has another man's name on the back? And you only do it because you're hardwired that way. And they're making millions of dollars because you must identify with someone. And Israel said, we want to be like the other nations. They have a king, and he sits on the throne, and he's the charismatic person. And God said, here's what's going to happen. If you get a king, they're going to tax you, and they're going to send your boys to war. And the idea was God would be different. And so nations are beasts. out of a nation, this man will rise, a singular man. It will be instantaneous, like I read earlier. He will be magnanimous. He will be a great orator. For those of you who think I'm out of my mind, in 1850, if you said the U.S. would lead the world, you would have been out of your mind. At the same time, if you said Israel would be back in the land, they would have put you away. In 1900, if you said Korea... Would be an industrialized first world nation, they would have locked you away. When I was a kid, we would laugh. We would go in a five and ten, buy trinkets, and they all said, made in Japan. Who's laughing now? We're driving all their cars. See, God raises up nations, He brings them low. Thomas Friedman said, the nation that discovers the next energy source will be a superpower. Could that bring it about? Could technology bring it about? Could the rapture bring it about? But it's going to happen, and it's not going to happen the way we think it's going to happen. So that's nations. Let's look at technology, because this feeds right into this. So we have this coming world ruler. Now, this is bizarre. Look what happens, verse 4, 3. I saw one of his heads as it had been mortally wounded. People thought this was Ronald Reagan, by the way. And his deadly wound was healed, and the world... Again, this isn't local. The world marveled and followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he he was given a mouth, speaking great and pompous words. Verse 6 says he was in the tabernacle of God. Here's where it gets interesting. Verse 11. I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Again, he's antichrist. He's a deceiver. He's an angel of light. And he exercises all authority of the beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he performs great signs. He can call fire down from heaven. Verse 14 And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image or an icon to the beast who was wounded. Buy the sword and live. Now, Satan's a counterfeit, right? He, he can't do anything new. Uh, people crack me up when they go to a psychic. Oh, I went to a psychic and they told me I had an Uncle Joe and three kids. So what? They tell you anything new? They tell you 9-11's coming or who the next president is going to be or who's going to win March Madness, and then I'll Listen. But, of course, they can't because only God knows the future, right? God said, I'm God, and here's how I'll prove it out. I'll tell you the end from the beginning. There is a world leader and then a world religious leader. The world leader somehow dies and is resurrected. I don't know how that happens. God must allow it. But what's fascinating to me is the technology to portray this man's image almost Like he's there. Now, right away, we think of a hologram or something like that. I think it's going to be deeper. Y'all know where technology's going, right? Um, I can't even believe where we are. Uh, Put up on the screen, this is a pack of Wrigley gum. You're going to laugh at this. In 1983, the person who was telling me about Bible prophecy said, Did you ever see one of these barcodes? And I think in 1973, That was the first scanned item. And uh, I thought, yeah, I've seen, you know, on Frosted Flakes and things, I've seen them. Oh, you're not going to believe it, this person told me, 1983. We're going to check out in the supermarket, and they're going to know everything about you. And none of that was going on. You would see like one wand and an Acme, but nobody used it. Look how far we've come in 35 years. And it's not just barcodes. Uh... Next picture is the high priest of tech, your buddy Mark Zuckerberg, who gave you all your fake friends. (laughs) This is a virtual reality conference. Now, we don't hear a lot about virtual reality, right? We hear about a lot of other tech. We think virtual reality is for the gamers, right? not going to believe where this is going. They're talking about virtual sex, virtual church. I mean, this this is going to explode. Years ago, when we saw Avatar, uh, a bunch of us went, and it was groundbreaking, right? And I remember walking out, and me and several others said, oh, my gosh, heaven's going to be amazing, because it was like the greatest representation we've ever seen of another world where you get new legs, and we were all excited, and my wife had another view. It was prophetic. She said, this is going to be worse than drugs. If the world really goes here, this will be worse than drugs. Y'all see where we're headed? Here's where we're headed. When you're born, all doctors know this. Um, We don't see with our eyes. It's strange. Our eye is a radio receiver. So what happens is images come to your eye, and then they're thrown up on a screen in your brain. It's, It's amazing. That's why... Babies squint when they're born because nothing's on the screen yet. So medical professionals will tell you, when a baby's born, they're looking for face recognition. It's phenomenal. It's built in, hardwired. Their head's turned. They're looking for mom's face, right? So you were born with face recognition, and where technology is taking you is to a faceless, false place, Right? So the new iPhone has what? Face recognition. And for all of you, and I know you're out there, it's probably 50% of you who sleep with your phones. Don't look across the aisle. The first face you look at is your phone. A screen. This is where technology is going. Technology isn't good or bad, it's used for good and bad. Uh, we're going to reach more people through technology than we've ever reached. But then there's the dark web, there's pornography, there's Bitcoin, there's all kinds of nonsense. Andy Crouch writes a lot about this. Many of you have bought the TechWise family. We've all got to come to grips with ways to use self-control in all this. Um, so many of God's people have gone on 40-day fast. We probably need 40-day tech fast now. We, we probably really got to get a hold of this. But, but when you really think about this, Um, here's what I want to say. Satan's goal is to reduce you to a number. See, he hates you. He's using you as a pawn in a great scheme against God. You're made in God's image. You're only a number. You're only a number to a nation. You're a statistic. You're a cog in the machine. But God looks at you much differently. Now, God has numberings, right? The Bible says he numbered every hair on your head. But he numbered every hair on your head for intimacy. Do you see how much different it is? There's not a number for you. You were created in in your mother's womb. God knit you there. But God said, I want to know you so deeply, I just numbered your hair one day. And that strange DNA sequence God put together You're fearfully and wonderfully made. He wants to know you intimately. On a day where everything's working well with me, here's the tension I live in, and you should think this too. I feel like I'm the only human being on the planet. Out of seven billion people, I think, gosh, God is so involved with me, he must not be involved with anybody else. And then the tension is he's millions of miles away. That's a great tension, right? But there's... There's a design in us to be intimate. There's a design for face recognition. There's a design to look in the steely blue or brown or whatever colored eyes, not screens. And in the last day, screens and images are going to pull people away from God. This is why God said they didn't want any, anything made in His image. What did Jesus think of images? One day they said, You know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? He said, Give me a coin. And the only celebrity in that day, the only jersey you buy in that day was Caesar, okay? And he looks on the image and says, whose image is this? Caesar's, then render to Caesar what Caesar wants. Caesar must want adulation because he put his image on this. So give him what he wants. Give him your money, but render to God the things that are God. And what is God's is your life. You are made in the image and likeness of God. And what we're seeing here is a drastic contrast. This impersonal system, this impersonal coming world leader. Think of Jesus, who would let little children sit on his lap and a woman touch the hem of his garment. Now, Jesus never offered false intimacy. Please don't misunderstand me. The religious leaders didn't have intimacy. Uh, there were people that tried to come to Jesus for miracles. He said he, he, he wouldn't deal with them because he knew it was in the heart of man. Jesus never offered false intimacy. But to those who wanted to know God, there was deep intimacy. My Father and I, we knock on the door of your hearts. You, you know all the scriptures. The final thing I want to share with you is this Antichrist person. He causes all small and great, rich or poor, slave or free, to have this mark that no one can buy or sell without the mark. We have another system going here. It's the economic system. And uh, we think capitalism is the elixir today for the world's problems. There is a massive downside to capitalism. And don't ever say capitalism is what God gave to Israel. God told Israel he gave them the power to create wealth. Israel is one of the few nations that never invaded another nation. God said, I give you the power to create wealth. Every man should sit under his vine and fig tree his personal property. But capitalism, and what goes on in the name of capitalism, is not of God. Some of it's barbaric. We don't have time to get into any of this. Adam Smith said the Achilles heel of capitalism is greed. And greed today is men sitting in suits around boardroom tables and women. But again, we don't have time to get into this. It's going to be economic. It's going to be political. Religion's going to get in the bed with politics. You're never going to identify this person. You can run 666 calculations all day. It's too complex. He'll be the embodiment of evil. He will be Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander the Great, the Caesars, Napoleon, Stalin, Hitler, and Saddam Hussein all together. This will be the final solution. It is future visible, it is numeric, and it's economic. If you don't think it's coming, Andy Rooney said this at 9-11. He said, we need security at airports. Something has to be done to fix the problem. Maybe we could all get tattoos or maybe a computer implant in the skin. I'd be willing to sign up for tomorrow if I knew that it would solve the world's problems. It'll solve theft and credit card abuse, a whole host of things. But I want to let you in on one final thing. When, when the Hebrew people heard this, it didn't wig them out like it wigs me and you out. They never saw Omen or scary movies. and So 666 wasn't strange to them. In fact, when they heard 666, they just thought of man, like the height of man, what man can do. In 1 Kings chapter 10, it said the wages that came to Solomon were 666 fine talents of gold a year. Solomon was the king of Israel. That's $19 million a year. That's a lot of money in that time. We all know that Solomon transgressed the commands of the Lord, even though he built the temple and he was the wisest man. He wrote four books of the Bible, Psalms and Proverbs. We're told that he multiplied horses, which God never wanted. He multiplied wives, which God never wanted. And he partook of the silver and gold. We know about his sexual exploits. So when we hear 666, we know that something's wrong. Something's ungodly. And here's the last thing I'll say. The mark's going to go either on your forehead or in your right hand. Again, nothing new about this. In Deuteronomy, the Shema, what Israel would say every day, uh, maybe twice a day, and they put them on mezuzahs on their house, and if you go to a hotel in Israel, they'll be on your hotel door. There's a little scroll in there that says, Hero Israel. That's Shema in Hebrew. The Lord our God is one God, and you shall love the Lord God with all your strength, soul, and mind. I think Jesus added another flavor to that, and your neighbor is yourself. And God said that you might remember this law, he said, to put it between your eyes and bind it on your forearms or in your hand. So if you see Orthodox Jews today in Israel or New York City, you'll see them take cords and wrap them around the right arm, down to their hands. And you'll see little phylacteries, little boxes that have the Shema in it, the law. They put it, they literally took that literal. What I think Revelation 13 is saying is this. Look, the horse is out of the barn. Economically, spiritually, technologically, the horse is gone. The riders are ready to ride. The woman's ready to ride the beast. This is all a setup. It's all coming. We're never going to reel it back, right? We we, we have to be of the world. Not of the world, but we have to be in it. We can't turn Amish tomorrow. We need self-control, but, but, but here's the question I think God's asking all of us, myself included. Where is your heart aligned this morning? You know, are you in love with the things that are moving this world to a final deception? Or are you swimming against the tide? Are you holding on to these things loosely? Is there self-control? Are you trying to find the mind of God? Uh, When I became a Christian, I loved boxing. I still miss the days of a heavyweight fight. It was the greatest spectacle in sport. Uh, My dad took me to a closed circuit, Ollie Frazier in eighth grade, and I went to every one since then. But I remember I became a Christian. I thought, well, eh, boxing, I don't know if this is good or bad, and I wrestled with that. And I remember going to a live fight as a believer, and it looks a lot more horrific live than it does on TV, and I remember watching this fight and I just felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, this is the spirit that killed Christ. The vulgarity, the, the betting, the, everything that was going on in the arena there. And God really set me free of that. And I think it's the same thing here. Are we in love with those things that are leading this planet astray? Or are we getting into the mind of God for what he longs to do? in this age again we're never going to reel it back and we're not going to check in the monasteries but can we live in this world and not love the systems of this world can we be like jesus and look people in the eye can we be like jesus and dwell among people can we be like jesus and validate people and love god's word i think the answer is yes Again, this chapter is written for a purpose. I think it completes us. I think it reminds us that on the greatest day, this is not our home. And that God has prepared a place for us. And we're going to sing a song in a minute. Here's the final thing you need to understand. Tens of thousands of people lived in a time where they knew they would never see victory. Imagine if you lived in Egypt for the 400 years where slavery was never abolished. You know, there was a generation where God humbled an empire and brought them into a new land and humbled Pharaoh. But what about the 400 years of people that never saw deliverance? There are people in this world today that will never see deliverance until Christ comes. That's why our prayer has come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because there will be no justice until he comes. When I was in Guatemala, it doesn't matter how many times you've been in a slum, It it, it messes with your mind. How could this be? How could people live like this? What can I do to change it? And you realize whatever you do is a drop in the bucket. There needs to be an overhaul, complete overhaul. That's the second coming, a complete overhaul. You may have it great. Somebody else doesn't have it great. For some people, there will be no deliverance until Christ comes.